love what God's doing. And um, I just pray that, uh, that you're able to um, just capture in your heart and in your spirit what God's doing. So praise the Lord. Hey, guys, why don't you, why don't you come and join us over here in, in the green seats? And, and um, it's much better up here, isn't it? So we, we always try and encourage people to come and, and sit down here. That way there we don't feel like we're, we're shouting out too far. Hallelujah. God reaches out. We're going to be um, looking over uh, this, this whole thing of grace this morning and over the next few weeks. And you know, if you've been like me and you've, uh, you've lived a, a life with Christ, see, I've been following Christ for 25 plus years and um, it's been a wonderful journey. It's been a great adventure. And some of you have been following Christ longer than that, and I appreciate that. And some of you have just started following Christ, and I appreciate that as well. And one of the things that, you know, as a Christian we do, as those that want to learn about God want to do, is that we read our scriptures, don't we? We read our Bible. Uh, sometimes it's daily, and sometimes it's not as frequent. But, you know, we're encouraged to read our Bible. Why? So that we can learn about Christ. We can learn about this journey. We can learn about life. And see, what happens after 25 odd years, sometimes I find myself becoming familiar with scriptures. Yeah, you know, we'll, we've learned to memorize scripture. Scripture rolls off the tongue quite easily. Um, and that's fantastic and that's great. But you ever heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt? Okay. And the danger is when scripture becomes, just rolls off our tongue, and become so familiar with us, it loses its impact, doesn't it? It can lose its impact. It can lose that initial bang that it spoke to us whenever it did across, across the years. And, and, you know, we're going to be looking at a few scriptures over the next few weeks that you're all familiar with. But my prayer is that you just don't shut off and say, you know what? I know that scripture off by heart. I can tell you exactly in my Bible where it is. Well, you know what? Good for you. But where is it here? Where is it here? How does it affect your life? How is it implemented into our life? How does it affect and transform our mind every day? Because that's the key, isn't it? It's not just about knowing the scripture. It's about applying it into our life and letting it transform our life so that we can become the aroma of Christ in this stinking world. Amen. And so we're going to look at a few things in saying that. So as Jesus would say and said many times in the gospel, he who has an ear, hear. Okay. So what I want you to do very gently is grab the ear of the person next to you, give it a wiggle and say, hear what is being said. Okay, praise the Lord. Allow there to be a freshness, people. Allow there to be a freshness in these familiar sayings. Here's a quote. Only God's grace will set us free to be whom we're born to be. It begins and ends with God. Amen. You know, the whole idea of grace is scandalous, isn't it? To think that we, who rightly deserve judgment, punishment, 
for, and, you know, rightly deserve the consequences of our choices and actions, would actually be given a chance to have them all negated and that we could live in freedom instead of judgment. Isn't that whole idea scandalous? Because let's face it, you hear of court cases where a rapist might get off without punishment. What is, what is our, our feeling in that moment? Disgust, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. Someone gets away with something, they're not, the, the judge allows them to walk free instead of serving time, serving their punishment for their crime. And there's something in us that just goes, that's not right. Because wrongdoing should always suffer its consequence. And so this whole idea of grace becomes scandalous to us because in actual fact, we are in that place where we came before the judge and yet he let us go free. Now you might think that, okay, he's just a nice guy and he wants to, to do that for us. But as we're going to look um, today and also throughout this series, we actually see that that crime was paid for, but that's not just by us. Amen? And it's only his grace that will set us free. Once we truly appreciate this wonderful gift and what it took for God to be able to unleash the fullness of this wonderful gift, it releases us into a brand new world, one that we could never experience through our own futile efforts. No longer are we bound by despair. No longer are we weighed down by guilt. No longer do we stand condemned to receive the penalty of sin. But we can stand and say, Lord, I accept your mercy and your grace. You know, guys, grace is truly liberating. Once we get it from here to here, and once we're allowed to transform the way we think, you know, not only can we see that God extended his grace to us, but that through us, we can also extend that grace to other people and point them to their saviour. You know, while other religions who, who worship false gods have all these nice sentiments of goodness and kindness and, you know, attaining some sort of heavenly utopia, Basically what it is, it's our actions that, you know, it's a person trying to pursue this. It's a person doing things, you know, the five steps to this place or, you know, um, this way of thinking and you will, you will find yourself here. Ultimately, it's the individual. But plainly speaking, it's futile, isn't it? Walking this path only leads, to, leads us to comparison. We compare ourselves to one another. Hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look how far I've got in my walk with my God. But how can we compare ourselves to one another when we're all in the same boat? Amen. And, you know, you might think that murder is not as big an issue to God or, or lying is not as big an issue to God as murder. But I've got to tell you the truth, it's all the same. Sin is sin. Black is black. Amen. And all sin must suffer its consequence. Walking this path of righteousness in your own 
efforts leads to this sense of pride. Well, look how good I'm doing. Why aren't you doing like me? You ever heard people have that sort of subconscious attitude? I've, I've come across people, even Christians. Hey, I follow the law. I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, that's good. I try, but ultimately I've got to lean on the grace. I've got to lean on the bosom of Christ and accept what he'd done for me at the cross. You know what? God demands perfection. Can I see a show of hands of anyone who has obtained perfection? There you go. You just lied. You've just broken the sixth commandment, I think it is. And for anyone listening to this recording, that was Jamie. We can never obtain perfection, can we? It's far beyond our capabilities. God knows this. God knows this. So you know what? Stop trying to win God's favour. You'll never do it. You already have it. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ and find the door to grace. Say sorry for living life according to your rules and your understanding and receive forgiveness and a new lease of life as God releases the fullness of his riches and love into your life. You know, throughout this series on grace, you're going to find relief from the pressure of trying to measure up. Who's ever felt they've had to measure up? I know I have. You know, meet certain standards, perform certain tasks, reach goals. That's not what it's about. The pressure is off, guys. God loves you. God gave his one and only son, as we will see later on, for you. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to live this life that we call to here on earth. Ultimately, it's all about God. Can I hear an amen? It's all about God, not us. He's the center of everything in our life. He planned it, he actioned it, and he is now calling us into this fresh revelation of his amazing grace. And here comes one of those familiar passages of Scripture, John 3. Let's read through it, can we? i tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I tell you the truth, verse 11 says, We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. You know, Jesus says these words, I tell you the truth, three times in the first 11 verses of chapter 3. I tell you the truth. Why do you think Jesus has to sort of say that? Do you think he's trying to make a point? you think he's trying to 
get his listeners to see and hear, actually, I better take note of this. I tell you the truth. It's not to say everything else he says is not truth, but he's trying to make a point. Guys, you need to listen to this. This is a point worthy of understanding. You see, I can speak and testify to many magnificent and awe-inspiring occurrences throughout my 25-plus years with God. I can speak of miracles. I can speak of healing. I can speak of provision, of transformation, not only in my life, not only in the life of my family, but in people as a pastor that I've seen transformed by the grace of God. I've seen how he takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. I've seen how he takes natural and turns it into supernatural. He takes everything that we can give him and he multiplies it. And yet sometimes we think we have so little to give God. As if to think that we can actually give him anything he needs. I'm not saying this to condemn our actions in, in you know, our sacrifice that every day we may give to God. But let's not have the attitude that, hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Just as the little boy gave his lunch to feed the masses, it takes partnership, doesn't it? It takes two. It takes our love and our actions towards God. And then in accepting that, God turns it into something wonderful and miraculous. You see, I can testify of these things. But you know what the greatest thing I can speak of is this. His grace is sufficient for me. That is the greatest thing I can ever testify about. That God's grace is sufficient for me. And God's grace is sufficient in every situation that I find myself in. Because you see, in my weakness, He is strong. In my dire circumstance, He is victorious. And because I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives with me or in me, then his strength is my strength and his victory is my victory. Amen. And because I've been crucified with Christ, I don't live anymore. But just as Christ rose from the dead, God has given me resurrection life as well. And my friends, this is the same for all of us. He allows us to share in his resurrection glory. Is that grace or what? Do we deserve that? Most likely no. And yet we share in this marvellous thing. You see, it begins and ends with God. Can you say that with me? It begins and ends with God. You see, he set all things in place. He has fulfilled every plan. He stepped out of heaven and stood on this earth. He defeated Satan. He died. He rose again. He is seated in the heavenly realms and he has sent his Holy Spirit here to earth to counsel and guide us throughout this journey. It's all about him. We can lay no claim to it, to any of it, other than to humbly accept this by faith. This amazing grace. How sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. 
and it's because of His great love for me and for you that we can live this life transformed, renewed, and fully alive. My guys, what great news. Is this good news or what? This is what should get us excited. This is what should pump us every day. That he makes sinners out of saints. No, the other way around. Were you listening? Some of you were. What does he make? Saints out of sinners, doesn't he? He makes mighty men out of murderers. He makes warriors out of wusses. He makes conquerors out of common folk. He makes Christ followers out of criminals. He does it all by his transforming power. Verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, this is a reference to to an Old Testament account that we find in Numbers. Did you know that grace, God's grace is found in the Old Testament as well? Yeah, sometimes we get this idea that God in the Old Testament was just this mean old dude who was just, you know, willing to kill anyone that didn't follow him. That he laid down all these laws and made it so unbearable for for his nation to even love him. But we find grace in the Old Testament, just as we do post-cross. How about this? Healing in Numbers 21. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. This is what John 13, 14 is talking about. This very account. We'll talk about that in a moment. What about the, uh, the grace of provision in Deuteronomy 29? 5 and 6 says, During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out and your sandals, uh, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. God's grace in the Old Testament. Two accounts there, healing and provision. Let me ask you, what was the basis of God's grace in these two instances? Was it Israel's ability to obey his commandments? Was it Israel's loyalty? Was it their gratitude? No, none of it. Because you know what? They're a bunch of whingers. A bunch of whingers, rebellious, complainers. And every time something didn't go right, guess what? They complained. Every time they didn't get something their own way, guess what? They went to Moses and complained. Sound familiar, guys? Could you ever be accused of complaining and whinging? I probably could. Ask my darling wife. What was the basis of God's grace? His love for his children. What's the basis of God's grace in our life? His love for us. It's got nothing to do with our obedience got enough to do with the fact that 
you know, we're just good little people. It's all to do with God. Can I get this message through to us this morning, please? Can I get this message across to us? Because then, you know what we find ourselves thinking? When life's going good, God, I deserve your grace. When life's going no good, guess what? We run and hide. We try and hide our face from God. But it's got nothing to do with us. It begins and ends with God. Verse 15. That anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So here we see that clear analogy that Jesus is comparing himself to the bronze snake that Moses made in the desert. Moses made the bronze snake, put him on the pole. And has anyone seen the, 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 medical, uh, the medical sign? It's a, it's a snake wrapped around a pole. Okay. That's what it is. And that when everyone, anyone saw it, they lived. A clear analogy of God's grace. You know why he, um, Moses had to make a bronze snake? Because Israel went off the rails. They started worshipping false gods. They started being rebellious. So God said, okay, this sin must be punished. And he sent snakes to kill them. And a number of Israel, the nation of Israel, were killed. But God had mercy. And he said, Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. And anyone who looks on it, even though they are bitten, they will live. Now you've got to understand this, folks. To look upon it was not just a casual glance. It's not just gone, oh yeah, there it is, that's nice, thank you, and walk away. No. It was to gaze upon it with your whole intent to look upon it and by faith accept that healing was yours. That God had made a promise that if I looked upon the snake, I would live. And by faith, they received that healing. You know what? Some of them had to walk to get to the snake. Some of them had to walk maybe an hour or two once they had been bitten. They had to do it. And they had to do it for themselves. They couldn't send their next door neighbor, can you go and look at the snake for me? No, it was a personal thing. My friends, this faith of ours is a personal thing. No one else can do it for us. Our faith must be our faith. It can't be our parents' faith. Once we come to an age of understanding, we need to have that faith for ourselves. We need to be the ones that gaze upon the cross and say, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. I accept by faith your grace that was poured out on that cross. I accept it for my own life. And if we're still relying on our faith of our parents, my parents were good Christians, you might say. That's fine. That's between them and God. What about between you and God? You've got to gaze upon the bronze snake yourself. And this is what Jesus is saying, that he is now 
that bronze snake. He is the one that you gaze upon to see that you are healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. My friends, this is where it's at in our life. This is the gospel right here. You know, these, this is probably one of the first scriptures any person remembers or, or memorizes as a Christian. I know it was one of the first ones for me. And this is what I'm saying. Sometimes it can be so familiar that we just forget the impact of such a scripture in our life. And we forget the impact of it. And you know what that does? It be- causes us to become complacent, blasé. Yeah, I've accepted it for my life. And you know what? We lose focus on what this actually means, not only for us, but our our responsibility to share that truth with other people. Because if God saved me, then he can save anyone. If God saved you, he can save others. And we might think, okay, it's fine, I'm in the lifeboat, I'm all right. Yet there are many others still in the sea, drowning, struggling with their everyday life. Today is a day of salvation, my friends. Today is a day you make it personal. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you have not made that personal commitment to God, if you have not accepted His grace for yourself, then today is the day. Today, not tomorrow, not in one hour's time, right now, today. Everyone has been bitten and everyone needs to gaze upon the healer. As I finish up this morning, I want to say this. It begins and ends with God. Where's our place in it? We accept it for ourselves. We accept it for our own life. And we allow that to transform our life, transform the way we think, to transform the way we act, to transform the way we relate to other people, to transform our attitude. This is where it gets real. So as I finish up this morning, if you want to make that personal commitment, why don't you just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now and just say, Lord, I accept what you have done for me. Allow his grace. See, in raising your hand, you are gazing upon the cross. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. To look upon the cross, you had to walk out in public to the cross to that bronze snake. We can't be ashamed of these things, my friend. We need to be able to make it personal in our life. 
why don't I just finish off in prayer. Lord Father, I thank you that in our hearts, in our hearts, we have accepted our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for your grace poured out for us. I thank you that by faith we have been saved. And it is, this is a gift of God, not by our work so that we could boast, but it is truly your wonderful gift. And this morning we want to say thank you, Lord, and accept that. And we pray, Holy Spirit, empower us, empower us to live this transformed life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.